All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Luke. My name is John Whitaker, and I'm so glad to have you here on the commentary. Our goal in the listener's commentary is to teach the Bible in everyday language so you can follow Jesus in your everyday life. And here in this session, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 44. And it is the opening scenes in Jesus' ministry. And so in context, Jesus has just been baptized and then spent a month and a half, 40 days, fasting and praying. And as Luke tells us, being tempted or tested in the wilderness by the devil. And he he passes the test. He's loyal to God. And now Luke is going to have him return to Galilee uh, in northern Israel, where Luke will focus for a while on Jesus' ministry. And so he's going to return to Galilee for his ministry. And these are the opening snapshots of his ministry. And just to keep the big picture in mind, Luke has this focus on Jesus' ministry in uh, Galilee, and then a long section in the middle of the book about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and then we get the, the triumphal entry and the final week leading up to his crucifixion. So that's how Luke has organized uh, his portrayal of Jesus' ministry. And so here, we're in that opening section, we're beginning Jesus' ministry, and Jesus returns to Galilee to start. And this section includes two key snapshots of Jesus preaching in the synagogues, and that's really how Luke has framed this section. So it opens in verse 15 with Jesus teaching in all their synagogues, and then it ends in verse 44 with Jesus continuing to teach in the synagogues. That's the framing section. And so here in this section, Luke 4, 14 through 44, we get two uh, snapshots of Jesus preaching in synagogues, one in a synagogue at Nazareth, and one in a synagogue in Capernaum. Let's look at the details here. And Jesus, verse 14, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding region, and he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. And so that's Luke's just generic opening statement for his ministry before he goes into a very specific picture or snapshot from that ministry. And notice that he has him return to Galilee, northern Israel, in the power of the Spirit. We'll talk a little bit more about that again, because that's going to come up here very shortly. But we've already mentioned that, that Luke wants us to know right from the outset that it's the, the Spirit that is empowering Jesus' ministry. And Luke tells us that one of the key ways Jesus carried out his ministry was teaching in their synagogues. And the initial reception and reaction is good. He's being praised by all. Now, with that, Luke then jumps into a very specific moment of preaching in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth. So that's not where he started, but that's where he is at now. So uh, Luke 4.16 says, and he came to Nazareth. So he's been teaching and preaching in various towns and synagogues around Galilee. That's what he has said in the opening summary. But now he comes to his original hometown where he grew up, Nazareth. Um, And we need to recall that Nazareth was a small town set up on a hill, and in some ways a little bit isolated from the surrounding towns, but from it you could look down on, from this hill, you could look down on a a large chunk of northern Galilee. You could actually see places where um, great scenes from Israel's history recorded in the Old Testament had actually carried out. 
that's that actually kind of plays into what happens here in this little snapshot. So Jesus comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. So Jesus has this habit, this custom of going to synagogue services on the Sabbath. He's been teaching in a lot of these synagogue services, and the word about him is spreading through all these towns. Here he is in his hometown. He enters the synagogue on the Sabbath, Saturday, the Jewish day of worship, and he stands up to read. And that was the custom. He, uh, as a member of the community, uh, he is given the opportunity to actually uh, uh, read and teach. And the custom was you would stand to read the, the scriptures and then you would sit down to expound on it. And so he stood up to read the text um, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him according to verse 16. And so that's what he wanted to read from. That's what had been arranged. And so they hand him the Isaiah scroll. And Jesus, being invited as the guest teacher for that Sabbath, is handed the Isaiah scroll, and he unrolls it to what we call Isaiah 61. And he's going to read a section out of Isaiah 61, and he actually combines it with a line from Isaiah 58. And so this is what he reads. He unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And so Jesus reads this passage from Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, with a line from Isaiah 58, verse 6. That line from Isaiah 58 is the, the line in the middle of this, to set free those who are oppressed. How does he add that line right in the middle of it? Well, he adds that line because the, the connection is a very common Jewish way of doing this. Key words, the, the key word is release and set free. So when he says that the he has sent me to proclaim release to captives and then set free those who are oppressed. That line, set free those who are oppressed, Isaiah 58, 6. Well, the word set free and the word release are actually the same word in Greek. Um, and so he is combining those because they really proclaim the same idea and go together by this key word. And so the emphasis lies upon grace and release here, which then becomes characteristic of Jesus' ministry. So Jesus reads this text as a description of his vocation, his calling, as a description of his ministry. A couple other details from this reading of the text and this little these couple of verses here. He says, it says that the Spirit uh, had anointed him uh, to preach the good news to the poor. And we've noted that Luke's emphasis on the Spirit. The Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism. Luke noted that the Spirit is the one who led him into the wilderness, that he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then again here with this Old Testament quote, draws attention to the fact that the Spirit empowered Jesus preaching and teaching his whole ministry. So he is anointed with the power of the Spirit for ministry. Just important because Luke has emphasized that. We don't want to miss that. Um, also, that word anointed, that uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. That word anointed um, is related to the word Christ or the word Messiah. The word Christ or Messiah actually derives from the verb anointed. And so Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. Uh, so note that little detail. And uh, 
Notice the line at the end of this Old Testament text to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which alludes to the year of Jubilee. You can read about that in Leviticus 25, the year of release, the year of uh, celebration and letting things kind of go free and sit still for a while. So the year of Jubilee, you can read the details in Leviticus 25, but Isaiah 61, and now Jesus' reading of Isaiah 61, uses it as an image of the great jubilee that God will bring when God brings his deliverance to his people, restores the fortunes of Israel. That's the context in Isaiah 61. And in rabbinic teaching, Isaiah 61 is connected to God's end-time salvation when God would set Israel free. Well, Jesus applies it to himself. He's the anointed one, anointed with God's very own spirit to actually proclaim the, the gospel, the good news of God's salvation and deliverance and liberation. And so in reading this text, um, all of a sudden, all sorts of you know whistles and bells are going off in people's minds and a sense of anticipation, like, what are you talking about? Plus, combined with the news about what Jesus has been doing and the preaching and teaching that's already been spreading through the Galilean hillside, uh, when he reads this text, there's a sense of anticipation and excitement. And so verse 20 says this, and he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant, the synagogue attendant, the one who's in charge of organizing the service. And Jesus sat down because you re you stand up to read, you sit down to expound. And so he sat down and he, he's going to expound on this text. And all the eyes of the people in the synagogue are intently directed at him. They're looking at him with this sense of what is he going to say? And what is this about? And this sense of anticipation. And and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And so this is his way of saying what I just read to you. It is now beginning to happen in and through me, in and through his ministry and his teaching. He applies this scripture to himself as the one who is anointed to carry out this ministry and bring God's deliverance. And so for the people, this is a moment of, wait a second, is he saying what I think he's saying? And so verse 22 reads like this, and all the people were translated speaking well of him and admiring the gracious words which were coming from his lips. And yet they were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, um, it's not totally clear exactly how to understand the phrase speaking well of him, because literally it's just bearing witness to him. So is that positive or negative? Were they bearing witness to him uh, and marveling? Probably so. Probably uh, the idea of approval that they were, that this positive sense that his words initially won their approval and they were marveling or at least wondering. That idea of admiring is marveling or wondering. So they're they're curious. They're wondering. They're like, wow, what's, what is this all about? Does he really mean what I think he's mean? That seems to be the idea. And yet, they were saying, isn't this Joseph's son? And it's important to note that that word yet is supplied. It's not really in the original text. I, they've tried to free it up uh, in an effort to maybe help us understand it. I actually think the word yet, though, confuses us. Because I don't think it's like, oh, wow, these words are great. And yet, isn't this Joseph's son? I don't quite think that's the idea completely. I think, and isn't this Joseph's son, is the idea of, wait, if he's saying what I think he's saying, uh, and he is the anointed one, the Messiah, and he's the one that's going to be the deliverer. And 
we're his hometown, then like, you know, perks for us. I, I think that's really what they're what they're getting at here is like, wait a second, if this is Joseph's son and he's from our community, and that means we're on the inside track with the Messiah. That seems to be uh, probably what they're thinking here. Jesus, sensing their self-interest um, in some regard, says this to them in verse 23. He said to them, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Um, all the miracles that we heard done in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And so this alludes to the fact there's already been quite a bit of ministry. There's been some miraculous ministry in and around Capernaum that we, we don't know about. Luke hasn't told us that, right? This is the opening snapshot from his ministry. All we know is he's been preaching and teaching in various towns as well, and the word is spreading about him. And apparently some of that's been happening in this city of Capernaum. More about that in a little bit about the city of Capernaum. But here, Jesus quotes this proverb, says, no doubt, uh, you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And he says, all the miracles heard in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. They seem to be hoping that if he's the anointed one and they're his hometown, then they're going to get to experience his miracles. They're going to get to see his power. Uh, they're going to get special privileges for him. Healing should start at home in his hometown. But, verse 24, he said to them, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. And so Jesus throws cold water on their uh, excitement. He identifies himself with the prophets of old and notes that the prophets were regularly rejected by the Jews, regularly rejected by their own people when they didn't meet their expectations. And then Jesus gives two examples of two of the greatest prophets, Elijah and Elisha. Not just two of the greatest prophets, two of the greatest prophets from that region, from their neck of the woods. So he's going to give two examples from Elijah and Elisha that from their history that they would know that would be a part of their cultural identity. Um, and interestingly enough, the, the two stories he gives from the life of Elijah and Elisha actually show um, Elijah and Elisha interacting with Gentiles, Gentiles who are more open to, more receptive of, the words and ministries of these two great prophets from the past. Uh, and in doing so, Jesus implicitly is showing who's included in the blind, the poor, the captive, and the oppressed that are going to experience liberation and deliverance from the Messiah's ministry. Uh, the stories that he's going to tell from the life of Elijah and Elisha illustrate how prophets were regularly rejected by their own people um, the Israelites, and yet Gentiles received and welcomed them. And so these two stories that Jesus tells from the life of Elijah and Elisha will speak in a very powerful and prophetic and challenging way to the hometown folks there in Nazareth. Here's what Jesus says, verse 25. But I tell you the truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a severe famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. You can read the story in 1 Kings 17. Jesus simply summarizes the story that would have filled their 
their um, their consciousness as people living in the region where e- Elijah actually operated, right, and their cultural heritage and their cultural identity. Elijah was an important part of their livelihood. Jesus, growing up in, in Nazareth, may have even heard these stories routinely talked about in, in town, and now Jesus is saying, but I don't think you've read this story accurately. Like, there were plenty of other widows that Elijah could have gone to right here in our neck of the woods, but he wasn't. He was actually sent to a widow in the land of Zarephath, to a Gentile widow outside of Israel. And again, you can read that in 1 Kings chapter 17. Then Jesus gives a second example from Elisha. Uh, and this story is from 2 Kings chapter 5. He says, And there were many with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and yet none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And again, 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman the Syrian has actually healed of his leprosy and becomes a Yahweh worshiper um, as a result of that. And so Elisha didn't heal uh, Israelites of their leprosy, but this Gentile, this Syrian. Well, now Jesus completely challenged their cultural identity with these two stories. And not only has he thrown cold water on their their excitement, now he's actually basically put them, cast them in the role of apostate Israel from these two Old Testament stories. And they would never think of themselves that way. Like, Nazareth, though seems to be the whole idea of the city was sort of this, we want to be pure, we want to be isolated from the Gentile communities surrounding us here and in Galilee and all of that. And so Jesus challenged their nationalistic and their uh, self-righteous pride, their self-serving interest with this. How do they respond? Well, look at verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things. And so they go from testifying and marveling at the good things Jesus was saying to being filled with rage as they heard these things. And they got up, they drove him out of the synagogue, out of the city, and brought him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built so that they could throw him down from the cliff. And so they, as a kind of mob rule, they somehow, you know, as a group are kind of working through uh, the city, out the city, to the, the crest of the hill. And their, their hope is just to push Jesus over the hill. It's like, we're not going to have you, yeah, right? Um, but somehow, verse 30, Jesus passed through their midst and went on his way. They didn't finish the job. Jesus walks through their midst. Um, He's challenged their self-serving, self-righteous, and nationalistic attitudes. Uh, they, they somehow believe that they were entitled to God's blessings, or at least since they're Jesus' hometown, if he really is the Messiah, that they should get special perks. And Gentiles, they certainly shouldn't be included in, in uh, God's deliverance. And you're telling stories that uh, say that they're better than us, and, right? So they were enraged by all that, and they wanted to kill him. And in telling us this story— Luke foreshadows right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry what lies ahead for Jesus. That Jesus' ministry, as great as it's going to be, isn't always going to be well-received by those you would think would be most prepared to receive it. So that's the opening snapshot of Luke's presentation of Jesus' ministry. And the second flows right out of it. Luke says in verse 31 that Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And so Jesus uh, 
has already done ministry there. We know that from the the snapshot there in Nazareth because they mentioned Capernaum. But now Luke wants us to know that's actually going to be the the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. And so he relocates to Capernaum. And Capernaum is a city on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually a very strategic location for Jesus' ministry uh, because it was at the border of several political regions and it sat along an international highway. And as a result, uh, there was much more foot traffic through the area. It had a customs office. It had a a strong military presence. Uh, There were Jews and uh, Gentiles that interacted together as a result of all the foot traffic. It wasn't hard to get from Capernaum to the Decapolis, which was a Gentile region. Uh, You could get to northern regions from there. And so there's just a lot more openness to new ideas because this is more of a cosmopolitan, international type city. And so the people of uh, Capernaum are open to new ideas. The Jews there have learned how to interact with Gentiles. It's actually a great place to train his his apostles, who he knows that he's going to send them into all the nations eventually. So they're going to actually watch Jesus interact with, with various kinds of people in this city. So Capernaum becomes a very strategic location for Jesus' ministry because word can spread from there all over the place. There's just a lot of benefits to it. So he relocates to Capernaum. And it's going to be the headquarters for his ministry. And Luke goes on in verse 31 and says, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. So again, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, he's teaching them. And they were amazed at his teaching because his message was delivered with authority. Now, literally, it doesn't say delivered with authority. It just says his message was with authority. And this actually derives from the rabbinic world of Jesus' day. What they are saying is, wow, he's not teaching like the average ordinary rabbi. He's teaching like a rabbi with authority. And to be a rabbi with authority was sort of like a special class of rabbi who went through a special ordination ceremony. And only a rabbi with authority could pass legal judgments. Only a rabbi with authority could introduce new interpretations. Only a rabbi with authority was actually allowed to gather disciples to himself. And here's Jesus uh, teaching like a rabbi with authority. And not only that, his teaching as this special class of rabbi is reinforced by the power, miraculous power, of what Jesus can do in his ministry. And so... um, Those in the synagogue are recognizing that Jesus is acting as if and teaching as if he's been given this kind of rabbinic authority, and then it's backed up with his ability to do miracles. So verse 33 goes on and says, In the synagogue there was a man possessed by the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out and said, Leave us alone. What business do you have with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so this this demon, this unclean demon in this person, recognizes who Jesus is, names him as the Holy One of God, is crying out there in the midst of the synagogue. But, verse 35, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst of the people, it came out of him without doing him any harm. No incantation, no formula, just his command. Uh, Jesus simply issues the word 
and the demon comes out and submits to his authority. And the people are amazed at this. The people are amazed by the authority of Jesus, verse 36. And amazement came upon all of them, and they began talking with one another and saying, What is this message? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out of him. And the news about him was spreading into every locality of the surrounding region. Now, to emphasize the authority that is backing Jesus' ministry, Luke goes on and tells another little snapshot, uh, just summarizing the amazing power that Jesus has. So, verse 38, he says, He got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home, that is Simon Peter. Uh, and now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. So, Simon's mother-in-law, which indicates Simon is married. And so Simon is married. His mother-in-law is sick. They want Jesus to help her. And Jesus, standing over here, her rebuked the fever, and it left her. And she immediately got up and served them. And so Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then as the sun was setting, so Sabbath has come to an end, right? The, the sun is now setting. We're into a new day. All those who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he was laying his hands on each one of them and healing them. And so at the end of the Sabbath, so that the people could carry their sick and not be guilty of breaking the Sabbath, all these people now are bringing their sick people to Jesus because the word about his authority and his power is spreading so widely. Demons were coming out of many people shouting, you're the son of God. And yet he was rebuking them and wouldn't allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Son of God is used as a title for the Messiah. And so they knew that he was the Christ. They knew that he was the Messiah. That's the idea. And Jesus uh, has to actually, actually exercise message control so things don't get out of hand ahead of time. And that's why he's not allowing them to speak and trying to keep them quiet. Who wants demons for your press agent anyhow? And Jesus has a lot of groundwork to do to make sure his disciples are ready because no one really knows what kind of Messiah he's going to be. They all have erroneous ideas about the Messiah. So it's just not time. And so he, he tells the demons not to speak. That's why he doesn't allow them to talk uh, because they knew that he was the Messiah. And then verse 42, uh, Luke summarizes and says, now when day came, Jesus left went to a secluded place. The crowds were all looking for him and they came to him and they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities because I was sent for this purpose. And so now one little note from that line there is to notice that the subject of the good news is the kingdom of God. That is the reign of God. God's kingdom equals God's kingship. And when Jesus goes and preaches the gospel, what Jesus is preaching is the kingdom of God. And so the good news is that God's kingdom is now open and operational in Jesus. And Jesus wants to share that with other towns and cities around Galilee as, as well. And so Luke ends this opening uh, presentation of Jesus' ministry in verse 44 by saying, And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea, or the synagogues better of 
the Jews. Since he's in the region of Galilee, not the region of Judea, it's the synagogues of the Jews. And so Luke started the section by saying that Jesus is preaching in the synagogues. He ends this section by saying Jesus is preaching in the synagogues. He's given us a couple snapshots of Jesus preaching in the synagogues. We now know that Jesus' ministry is underway. And Jesus is preaching God's kingdom all around Galilee.